Welcome to church. This morning we'll be continuing our new sermon series that focuses on Philippians. Pastor Barry will be going through Philippians 1, 12 to 18 with his message titled, Experiencing Joy, Part 1. If you're new here, we'd love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. Head to calvarycommunity.ca slash serve to see how you can get involved here. On the page, we have different ministries you can join, engage with the community, and see a little bit about what is going on here at Calvary. We'll be taking communion this morning, so if you're joining us online, grab some bread and juice so you can take part. We're so glad you could join us today. The farm I grew up on in Minnesota is a four-generation farm. It was originally homesteaded by my great-great-grandfather in 1885. And so it was the center of large extended family reunions for many years. Cousins from all across the states would come join us, even internationally, as some were missionaries in South America and, and Asia. During one particular reunion, I'm about 10 years old, and there are about 15, 20 cousins all creatively finding things to do around the farm. But I'm not enjoying myself. The one cousin I wanted to spend time with, and more honestly wanted to be the center of her attention, wouldn't give me the time of day. She was spending all her time with other cousins who seemed to be having more fun than I was. And I can remember whimpering to myself, well, why doesn't she want to spend time with me? My insecurity grows to sulking, and I begin withdrawing from the group. I can remember thinking that if they could just see how sad and disappointed I am, then they'll want to play with me. Well, that is manipulation and doesn't work well in relationships. The looks of disapproval on their faces... They are etched into the memory of this reunion. They begin to do the opposite of what I was hoping they would do, and they begin to withdraw from me, which only caused me to spiral. And quite frankly, I wonder, who would want to spend time with me? Like, sulking is not a trait that draws people close to ourselves, close to us in relationship, but in my 10-year-old immaturity and lack of self-awareness, it just made me worse. This is anything but a good way to live. 
and no joy was being experienced here. Can you remember a time when you felt sorry for yourself? Was it a year ago? Was it yesterday? Was it a week ago? You know, what I didn't realize until I was into, well into my 30s was that self-pity had become a stronghold in my life. Viewing myself as a victim of whatever circumstances I was in had become such a way of thinking and so normal for me, it was like a fish in water that doesn't even know what's swimming in, in water. Now, I don't think self-pity is a stronghold for everybody. For, for you, perhaps it isn't that. But would you agree that it's very easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves? Depending upon how we may feel about the people around us and they being against us or hurtful or challenging circumstances that we find ourselves in that are unfair and that they're not our fault, is it possible that it's easy for us to fall into this trap, trap of the enemy, of feeling sorry for ourselves? After some 30 years of ministry working with people, I sure think it is. But how do we avoid this trap? And if we're already trapped, is there a way out? Is there a way that we can live free from the debilitating effects of self-pity to our own identity and, and the effects in our relationships in order for us to experience for real the joy that, that God talks about, the joy that Paul talks about here in Philippians? Well, I believe there is. And our text gives us some windows, some tangible strategies for us to avoid or to get out of the self-pity trap. Our text today is in the book of Philippians, and you'll find it as the 11th book in, your, in the New Testament on your table of contents. This book is actually a letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had planted a, a number of years before. And we have explored the close relationship that he and these, and these Philippian believers that they enjoy. And at the time he writes this letter, he is in Rome under house arrest. But it wasn't under house arrest like we have today where a person simply wears a bracelet or a device that tracks their every movement. He had a much more primitive device. It was a Roman soldier chained to him 24-7. Can, can he get up and walk around the house? Well, yes. You know, what about changing his clothes or going to the washroom? A soldier, a Roman soldier, accompanied him everywhere he went. It's not really a job I'd look forward to. And because of the close relationship that these Philippian believers have with Paul, when they hear that he has been transported from Rome, I mean from Judea, from, from uh, Jerusalem over to Rome, they are greatly concerned about how he's doing. How is he feeling? And they're inquiring about him. I imagine they're wondering, is he really discouraged? Is he feeling hopeless and in despair? How is he being treated there? Has he slipped into self-pity? Is he feeling sorry for himself? Is he sulking in prison? Well, now, if Paul only had a smartphone, then he could simply, you know, fire them a text and said, you know, life sucks, it's hard, nobody likes me, nobody, everybody's against me. Or he could have said, Oh, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Well, let's find out how Paul is responding to his circumstances. If you have a Bible or a device uh, with a Bible app, please turn with me to Philippians 
chapter 1, starting in verse 12. But before I read, let's pray. God, I thank you that we can take a weekend like this to reflect on all of the, the blessings and the gifts that you have given us. They are all around us. Everything we have is from you. And so, Father, as we look at circumstances now from Paul's life and how we respond to the circumstances in our life, I pray that your word would come alive for us. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate it? Would you manifest your presence here? We know that you are everywhere present, but would you make your presence especially known to each one of us now? Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news of Jesus Christ. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Doesn't sound like there's much self-pity going on here. He's not feeling sorry for himself. Instead, his response is almost the opposite. How can he be so up? How can he be so positive? Well, there are a number of steps that we can, that we can take to address self-pity in our own life, especially if it becomes a stronghold within us, like it did for me. Some of those steps include dealing with a spiritual generational inheritance, where self-pity has been a common response of our family. Or perhaps we need to explore where the core of our identity is actually rooted. Steps may include deliverance, rebuking a spirit of self-pity or a victim spirit. It certainly will include repentance for where we have allowed this attitude to rule our actions. Repentance is essentially deciding to think differently about our choices. So that's going to have to be a part of this process. By Paul's response here in our text, another strategy is that we view our circumstances from God's perspective. If there is anyone who should be feeling sorry for himself, it's the Apostle Paul. He faced more rejection, more persecution, more stoning, imprisonment, and false accusations, more challenges setbacks and roadblocks, more direct lies about his character and what he stood for than I think anyone of recorded history. And now that he's in prison, waiting Caesar Nero's decision about his life, which it actually isn't looking good for him. But he's not choosing to feel sorry for himself. He's choosing to view his circumstances from God's perspective. Now, I imagine as he sees each new soldier come, getting chained up for their four-hour shift, he's silently going, oh, thank you, God. Here's another one that I get to share Jesus Christ with. Another soldier who would overhear the conversations between him and his friends. Another one who would overhear him writing perhaps this letter to these people that he loves so much. These soldiers didn't have a chance. They witnessed firsthand Paul's graciousness, his remarkable <clears throat> patience and perseverance in pain. 
They saw his wisdom. They saw his deep convictions and his genuineness with those that he loved who were close to him. And they would have known firsthand those lies, those accusations that were, that were totally false because they saw Paul for real right in front of them or perhaps beside them. Paul would have had a profound impact on their lives. These elite, hardened, and influential soldiers. How many of them actually received Christ? Well, we don't know. But I wonder, is this how the message of Jesus Christ spread through all of Europe? Was it actually through the Roman military that these soldiers who were being saved under Paul's influence, they carried with them as they were as they were uh, traveled all throughout Europe in this growing empire. And if so, what a creative way for God to spread the message of Jesus Christ, to use military to do it. And though Paul may not see the fruit of how his influence in their lives were to spread through the military influence, he embraces this opportunity. But there's more. Can you hear his excitement in verse 14? And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul is saying, look, don't feel sorry for me. Believers who were timid and fear are speaking with boldness like they've never experienced before. This is so cool. God is doing some incredible things in people's lives right here in prison. Don't feel sorry for me. This is good. Now, I don't think that it was Paul thinking that he enjoyed being in prison. I don't think he was like, oh man, if there's any place to be, it's to be in prison. This is a cool gig. You should try it sometime. Now, he doesn't deny that there's pain. He doesn't deny that there's discomfort. And perhaps a whole lot of frustration and a whole lot of, uh, of disappointment as he can't go and do what he wants to do and to fulfill his life's mission. But he determines inside that he's going to rise above so that no matter what, Christ is glorified, even in pain, even in significant limitation. Paul chooses to view his circumstances from God's perspective. But that is often so hard to do. Circumstances can be so frustrating, people so irritating, the problems so overwhelming, relationships so hopeless. Have you ever felt despair because your spouse just doesn't seem to be getting it? Your teacher gives you a low mark because your paper doesn't line up with their particular perspective. Or perhaps it's because your vehicle keeps breaking down or the interest charges that are adding up. Insomnia, maybe some other disorder, perhaps medication that keeps you from sleeping, or maybe it's your landlord upping the rent again. How can we rise above? How can you rise above our circumstances to see things from God's perspective? 
Well, I was in a conversation not long ago with someone who was very frustrated at their job. They were feeling significantly undervalued. Boss is always changing their mind and not keeping their word. They're not feeling challenged. And if there was ever a problem, it was always her and her team's fault for not measuring up. But this wasn't the first conversation that we had had, her and I, about her work environment. She has often expressed how coworkers in her job quickly annoy her. Tasks seem so pointless. And as I was praying, I was asking the Holy Spirit in the midst of this conversation about what's going on beneath the surface for her. I feel prompted to ask her, so what is it that God is trying to do in you through these circumstances at your work? Questions like this have personally been very helpful for me. God, what, what are you trying to teach me through this? God, what are you trying to expose within my own heart or my own values or what's important to me? What is he trying to help me be self-aware of? What is it that he sees in me that I'm not seeing? You know, these are good questions. Questions that lift us higher that help us to rise above our circumstances so that we can see these things from God's perspective, not just ours. And when we ask them to the Holy Spirit, we are inviting him into this process. We're inviting him to help us see our circumstances from his perspective. Another way to do this is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 38. Those who trust in the Lord, in another translation it says, who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Pursuing the Holy Spirit on these things, trusting that in all things, God has his best interest, has our best interest in mind, waiting on him for an answer, as opposed to us just going with our knee-jerk reactions and our despair, enables us to rise above, like on wings as eagles, as this is talking about, preventing us from feeling sorry for ourselves or falling into the self-pity trap. And according to this verse, when we do, we actually gain energy. It gives us some zest for life when we're feeling like the energy because of the discouragement is draining out from us. There was a season There was a season in my life where false accusations I didn't expect this to catch me. where false accusations were being spread about me. Things that if they weren't outright lies, they were significantly a twisting of the truth. Oh, sorry, you guys.
How do we respond to these things? Well, I felt torn. I wanted to confront these things that were being said. I wanted to go around and let everybody, to people know, I wanted to let people know what the truth was, what actually happened. But I sensed the Holy Spirit respond to me, and he says, well, he says, you can do that. But what actually is that going to accomplish for you? How will that help you? And I realized that by doing that, I was only trying to protect myself and my reputation. But I have determined in my own heart that when I have walked with integrity and I have sought to honor God at every turn, there's nothing to protect regarding my reputation. I can commit myself to God in these moments and allow him to protect me and allow him to look after my reputation. You see, that's exactly what God was wanting to do in my heart through this. Through this situation. <clears throat> he was seeking me to lay down my, my mechanisms of self-protection and instead to trust him. He was wanting to increase my faith in his ability to look after me. But if I jumped to my knee-jerk reaction of self-protection, my faith would have been stunted and my trust in him would have been diminished. So thankfully, by that time in my life, self-pity had been rooted out. Rising to view my circumstances from God's perspective enabled me to avoid that trap that I had fallen into so often as a kid and as a young adult. And instead, instead of falling into that trap, then to trust God in the midst of it, to take a not very good situation and turn it to his glory. So, how are you viewing your circumstances? Another strategy that Paul demonstrates that protects us from self-pity is to not worry about the motives of others. Philippians uh, verse, uh, 1, verse 15. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others, they don't do it with pure, pure motives. As they, um, they, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. Paul acknowledges here that there are some issues in this Roman church. There are some issues in the, in the relationships. When he was talking about the courage and the boldness of some believers that they were experiencing in verse, 10, in, in verse 14, he acknowledges that there is this other group that is actually against him. For whatever reason, this group of people in the church don't like him. Who are these people? Well, they are followers of Jesus Christ, a part of the church in Rome. Verse 15 says that they were jealous of him. Maybe it's the respect and the reputation that he had. 
Maybe it's the extent of fruit of his ministry that they were jealous of. And in today's term, that all of his success that he was having. It also says there that there was rivalry. Now, probably a better translation of the Greek word here would be contention or a spirit of enmity, which means the state of being actively opposed or hostile to someone else. Coupling jealousy with rivalry, as Paul does here, simply means that they are actively working against him. They're not working with him because they're jealous of what he has or what he's done. They are doing everything they can to work against Paul because they want him to suffer a little bit more even though he's in prison. They want to kick him while he's down. But notice here that Paul doesn't say that they are preaching a false gospel. That would make them heretics. They're not preaching a different gospel, which would mean that they would be working against Christ himself. He simply says they're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Their heart is full of selfish ambition. You see it there in verse 17? They are thinking that they are in competition with Paul and that they can somehow gain the edge on him because he's in prison now. I think of... I think most of us would be familiar with sibling rivalry, meaning competition with those in our own family. And although it can be done in fun, very often it comes from a not very good place in our heart. And perhaps you've experienced this. Rivalry often starts when we compare ourselves with others. (laughs) Thank you, Carter. As soon as we start that game of comparison, uh, comparison, comparing our finances, comparing our, our kids, our, our, our beauty, our clothes, our vehicles, our home, we will either deflate into feeling less than, even worthless, or we will inflate with pride and arrogance. Neither are helpful. It creates an unhealthy competitive spirit that does not honor God. This group is trying to stir up trouble for Paul by preaching the gospel. And maybe they were trying to make Paul jealous, proving that they could get more converts than he did. Maybe they were trying to make Paul feel threatened because their popularity was growing now and Paul's was stuck in prison. Either way, Paul's not threatened by them. He's not overcome by these things. He's not going to allow some petty comparison get him off his game. He's not going to let, he's not going to let this group's childish and their immaturity distract him from what God has called him to do, which is to help people connect with God through Jesus Christ. For us, for us, second-guessing another person's motives... Well, sometimes it's just best to go have a conversation with them and seek to understand why they said what they did, why they did what they did. Even though he knew their motives were wrong, it wasn't going to steal his joy. He wasn't going to let them steal his joy. And that's the third strategy in this text that will prevent us from feeling sorry for ourselves. It's simply to choose 
to rejoice. Verse 18, he says, but that doesn't matter to me. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. Say it out loud. So I rejoice. The word rejoice is like the active verb of the noun joy. I have found that joy and rejoice are some of the most difficult concepts to actually explain. Have you found this to be true? We often know when we're experiencing it. Like someone said to me this last week, joy is like that bubbling up emotion that just feels so good inside. But we find it difficult to put it in words. And for whatever reason, I have found it difficult to understand how to follow Paul's example to rejoice. I've just, I, I just haven't understood it. How do we in, in, uh, obey this instruction from God? Because you'll find it all over the New Testament. And so I was studying this week and asking the Holy Spirit, okay, how do I do this? I don't even understand. How am I supposed to stand up here and try to help you understand? Well, now maybe for you, understanding joy and how to rejoice is a no-brainer for you. You've gotten this for years, and it's not a big deal. You walk in it all the time. Good for you. And I mean that sincerely. If you are a bit like me, and you honestly haven't understood, well, then maybe this can be helpful. Let me say this as simply as I know. Three steps. When we take a bad situation, a painful circumstance, or a disappointing event, we reflect on them, looking for the good somewhere in there, and we are thankful for that good, that's how we rejoice. Yes. Right. I want us to look at verse 18 once again, if you could pull that up again. And you see how this is what Paul is doing. Paul is taking a bad situation, he's reflecting on it to find the good, and the good that he sees is previously timid believers who were afraid to follow Jesus Christ or afraid to talk about their faith in Jesus Christ. They're being bold. They're being filled with courage. That's a good thing. And others who were actually trying to one-up him, they were sharing Christ. That's a good thing. And he says, once I get beyond their motives, the good is that Christ is being preached. And that's good. That's the good in his circumstances. And in that good, he's thankful. Paul is essentially saying to us, rejoice is a choice. Looking for the good, choosing to focus on the good, and be thankful for that good, that's how we rejoice. And when we rejoice, we open ourselves up to the experience, the emotion of joy. Joy is like a byproduct of our choice to rejoice. And when we ask God, the Holy Spirit, to, to help us see the good and be thankful for the good, we're opening ourselves up for him to do a significant work in our heart. Notice the circumstances around us haven't changed. Those relationships maybe not have changed. They're maybe just as hopeless. 
but our perspective, our view, the lens that we're looking through life through changes. And when that happens, sometimes the whole thing changes for us. Our experience changes completely. Feeling sorry for ourselves, focusing on the bad, on the pain, on the disappointment, it robs us of the joy that God would have us experience. When things change for the worse in our health, our job, our finances, our personal relationships, or anything else that's important to us, it can really be easy for us to start to question God. Question His sovereignty. Question His goodness and His gracious provision. Have you ever done that? I sure have. It's especially true when these things take us off guard, when we are broadsided by them. We can respond in anger and doubt and distrust. We can respond when fear in self-pity like we've been talking about, or perhaps in complaining and ingratitude. But when we allow ourselves to do that, joy is the first casualty. And I was talking to a friend of mine this last week who has some very specific health challenges. And when I asked him how he is feeling about the limitations that this has brought into his life, how does he respond to me? Well, he gets this big smile on his face. And he says, well, at least I can pray and I can still connect with God. So that's someone who's choosing, choosing not to feel sorry for himself. He's considering his literally painful and tremendously disappointing circumstance. He is reflecting on it, looking for the good anywhere in this and then choosing to rejoice, choosing to be thankful in it. See, our circumstances aren't necessarily what make us thankful. It's our perspective of our circumstances. So, how are you doing with some of your circumstances? Been feeling sorry for yourself? Earlier in the service, Pastor Nathan was talking about being thankful, reflecting on some of these things. You know, can we take that a step further now in our service? It's pretty hard to feel sorry for ourselves when we're looking for something to be thankful for when we're actually thanking God for these things. So I just want to lead us uh, in a time of reflection. Here's some questions. We're going to take a few moments here. The band is just going to start to play. But I just encourage you, take this time in the quietness of your own heart, and let's do business with God. Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that there is no circumstance that there is no sense of hopelessness. There is no depth of grief that we can feel 
that we can be walking in even right now that is bigger than you. You are greater. So Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, would you come? Would you bring these circumstances up? Would you help us think through and see the good? And then would you give us the courage to walk in thankfulness? And as we do, Holy Spirit, would you do a, a significant and a profound work in each one of us? I commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. feeling overwhelmed by your circumstances and you've never met Jesus you actually don't have him as a resource you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you as a resource to help you rise up circumstance then I want to invite you would you come to Jesus even right now you can make a decision right now to surrender your life to him invite him into your life man there there's nothing like walking with Jesus through this life. So I just invite you into his family, into this relationship, and I'll just do it through a prayer. You can, if this is where you're at, you can just pray this, kind of repeat it to yourself in your own heart as, as I'm praying out loud. Um, and I just encourage you, is now the time for you to do this. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I know that I need you. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that I have not been walking with you, but I want to. Please forgive me of my sin. Please help me in the midst of my circumstances. And maybe you want to just reiterate to him what those circumstances are. Would you come into my life? I surrender myself to you. And would you bring Holy Spirit to live inside of me and help me see my life and my circumstances from your perspective? I choose to walk with you from here on out. In your name, amen. If this was you, if you just kind of prayed, this is the kind of the first time you're initiating this relationship with Jesus, and I go, yeah, welcome, way to go. 
you're part of the family of God. If you want to text, uh, if you want to tell some, I encourage you to tell somebody before you leave today. Um, or you could text this number and just say, hey, you could text life or hey, I just surrendered my life to Christ. Let us know. We'd love to walk with you. I'd love to help get you connected, help you figure out what some of these next steps are. For all of us, um, as you're walking on your way out, meet somebody that you've never met before. And I invite you to come downstairs to, for some fellowship. We got food down there. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. We just like to, to meet you and get connected. But before you leave, we just want to be a church that blesses each other. So let me bless you now. One of the ways we do this is we just hold our hands out like this. So I invite you to do this. If you feel uncomfortable with that, you don't have to do this. This is just a suggestion. But hold your, we can hold our hands out like this. And it's just a, a physical way of saying, God, I want everything that you have for me. So I bless you. My blessing today comes from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope, no matter what your circumstances are today, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website, Facebook, or on YouTube and Instagram. We will see you again soon.